And if you would please turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to continue our journey through Daniel. This is the last story on the first half of Daniel where we see these uh, episodes in Daniel's life and the life of his friends. Um, and, And we're going to move into these apocalyptic visions starting in the next chapter of Daniel and what we're, what's happening here in this first half of Daniel is um, Daniel is seeing things happening in his life uh, that are a part of the whole uh, cosmic battle that God is waging against his enemies. And then we see in the second half of the book of Daniel how at different times in his life, God has given Daniel the big picture of which the little things in his life, though they seem large on a human scale, are just a part of what God is doing in the big picture. And so this is the last uh, of these stories of, of Daniel. So hear now the word of the Lord. Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, being because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, 
pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. Now you've heard of the book and the character Little Lord Fauntleroy, you know, from the novel by uh, Francis Hodgson Burnett. And his birth name was Cedric Errol, and he was this little boy growing up poor in New York City. He was raised alone by his mother after his father had died. And one day he receives a message from his uh, estranged grandfather, the Earl of Dorincourt. And he learns that he's actually the heir to a vast estate. And so he moves to England where the Earl intends to teach him to live as an aristocrat. But in the end, it's actually little Cedric who teaches his grandfather to be compassionate and to take good care of those who are dependent on him. And so if, if little Lord Fauntleroy is a rags-to-riches story, 
we see that Daniel's story goes a little farther because Daniel's story is of rags to riches to rags to riches to more riches kind of story. For he was exiled from Jerusalem, but made ruler under Nebuchadnezzar over the whole province of Babylon, then forgotten by the time of Belshazzar, and then made third in the kingdom on the last day of Belshazzar's reign, and somehow retains his position and continues advancing at, at the time that Babylon is conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And so what we see through, through these stories of Daniel's life is that despite his changing fortunes and the rise and fall of kings and even great nations, some things have never changed. For one thing, it's always been God who's pulling the strings. Uh, that's one of the messages of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had back in chapter 2. For Nebuchadnezzar saw that his kingdom's days were numbered and that other kings would take his place and that all of them would be subdued by the kingdom of God. And so God always has been and always will be in control. Another constant is that Daniel has always devoted himself to doing God's will. Uh, the very first chapter of Daniel tells us that he rejected the king's food in order to show that the true God is the one who provides for him. And the last verse of that chapter tells us that Daniel continued in this manner through his whole, uh, through his whole career, and that his career then outlived several kings and even one great empire. And even in the rise and fall of kings, we kind of see a consistent theme that the rulers of this world go against God and need to learn from him. And so when Belshazzar was killed and Darius came to power, this is a real sort of meet the new boss, same as the old boss kind of situation. And so for the umpteenth time, Daniel finds himself in the position to serve a pagan king well and to teach him God's ways. And so all of us find ourselves in these types of situations for every day provides opportunity to show the world God's ways. Every, every day provides opportunities to, uh, to walk in his ways despite challenges, sometimes even strong challenges that come our way. Uh, sometimes it's, it's little things. It could be as simple as being polite to the cashier at the check stand at the grocery store. It can be giving solid advice to a friend. But it might be as big as honest dealing in multi-million dollar business deals. Um, at my church, when I lived in St. Louis, um, uh, the, uh, the stock, uh, the, the financial manager, A.G. Edwards, was a member. <clears throat> and in 1929, the year of the stock market crash, his brokerage firm lost money for exactly one client because they had managed the money well, because 
A.G. Edwards knew it wasn't his money to manage. And so God gives opportunities for people to honor him in ways both great and small. You know, many of us today are wrestling with questions of what it means to love our neighbor and how we can maintain a loving community uh, despite differences of opinion on a whole host of subjects that none of us even dreamed of thinking about in 2019. And so the question of honoring God under all kinds of pressure has always been a major concern for all of God's people throughout all of history. And in all kinds of ways, we have the temptation not to obey God. For not only does the world want to pressure us to disobey God, even here in the church, we have ways that we sometimes honor and protect people who disobey God for all kinds of sins, ranging from greed to abuse of every kind, spiritual, emotional, sexual. And so what do you do when you're under pressure? Where do you find the strength to carry on? In this last episode uh, of Daniel's life, we, we see that God's law is the centerpiece. Different stories of Daniel, all, all carrying the same theme of carrying on through pressure and the way that God is in control, they highlight different aspects of what that means. And here we see just repeatedly this emphasis on the law of the Medes and the Persians and how it can't be changed and it can't be revoked. In contrast to Daniel, in whom they could only find fault on account of the law of God. And so Daniel's sitting here caught between two laws, and we're going to see three things uh, in his story that apply to all of God's servants, people like you and me. And, and first we see that caught between two laws, God's servant carries on because second, God alone has authority to judge. And third, God's law alone is permanent. So God's servant carries on because God alone has authority to judge, and God's law alone is permanent. So Daniel, he was minding his own business, or he was minding the king's business, but in any event, he was paying attention to his own work. He was doing a good job. In fact, he was doing such a good job that the king wanted to, to put him in charge of the entire empire. It's an important position given only to trustworthy and capable administrators, in part because the royal revenue depends on it. I've heard it said that the taxman scoffs at the butcher who prepares a pig and wastes the squeal. Now, presumably, Daniel, being a good man, was fair to his subjects. But nevertheless, the king profited because of Daniel's excellent work. And so while Daniel is just sitting there uh, counting beans or 
making tick marks on a stone tablet. I should have researched that part, what that would look like. Certain opponents rise up, hoping to take him down a peg. For they feel that Daniel's success comes at their expense. But they can't find anything to pin on him. He does his work admirably. They can see that wisdom is in him and his reputation precedes him. But they know this about Daniel, that he will not compromise when it comes to obeying the law of his God. And so they concoct a situation where God's law and Darius's law will be absolutely opposed to one another. So they propose to Darius that for 30 days, all people be required to direct their prayers to Darius rather than to their gods. And you look at this and you can see a few loopholes. Uh, it only lasts 30 days. Daniel is probably in his uh, 80s at this point. So out of a lifetime of service to God, surely Daniel can get by for 30 days directing his prayer to Darius. It's not that big a deal. And second, this, this law doesn't actually require anybody really to give up worshiping their God or to deny their existence. Um, the law doesn't declare that Darius is a god. It doesn't deny the existence of any god. It simply says that requests should be directed to Darius rather than elsewhere. And so the effect is of making Darius really a representative. The, the, king, the kingdom's official authorized representative of all gods for a short period of time. But it doesn't involve worshiping Darius himself as a god. And yet God's word is clear. He alone is our God. He alone takes care of us. And he is the one to whom we go directly to hear our prayers. When Solomon dedicated the temple, he asked God to make this temple a house of prayer for all the nations. Jeremiah tells the exiles to pray to the Lord on behalf of the city where he sent them. And so Daniel continues praying to God. In fact, he goes on in exactly the same way that he had previously done. He didn't alter his practice. He didn't start praying silently. He didn't start praying away from the windows. He used to pray in front of open windows toward Jerusalem. And he continued praying in front of open windows toward Jerusalem exactly the same way. Daniel simply carried on. And this has important lessons for us too when our own faith and practice are challenged because we also, against all kinds of challenges, we ought to carry on. But still, even in Daniel's example, there's a couple of things to note. Like the, We note that this is a very extreme example for prayer to the true God is forbidden completely for 30 days. Not every challenge to our faith is this extreme, but here in Daniel we see the lengths we should be willing to go to in order to obey God. But we should also ask for wisdom for how to navigate the less direct challenges as well. I, I think of um, Pastor Zacharias of 
Redeemer OPC in Atlanta. Um, he spent time in Eritrea as a prisoner on account of faith. Now, they weren't allowed to sing Christian hymns in prison, but late at night, the guards were, frankly, too tired to care very much, as long as they sang the hymns quietly. So every night they sang, quietly, but they sang. And so there are times when carrying on means a change in some specifics, but what continues is always the worship, singing to God, praying to God, uh, reading his word. These are things that we can't compromise on. And second, Daniel doesn't go out of his way to provoke the king's law. For it's not as though he used to pray silently and now he prays out loud. He just carries on. Daniel didn't fight his adversary's scheme with a scheme of his own. And that's not to say it's never right to sometimes be provocative or never right to engage in some form of civil disobedience for a just cause. It's just to say that in general, our lives, when under pressure or persecution, should reflect our practices during the times that we're free of pressure. For we should just seek to obey God with simplicity, honoring him as we always do, despite the changing specific challenges that we face. But what is it that enables Daniel to carry on? For we know, he knows, that he's going to be caught red-handed. Well, there's two parts to this answer, and the first one is very simple. He knew that God alone has the authority to judge. For look at what Daniel says to the king in verse 22 after he's passed this ordeal. He says, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. Daniel was able to carry on because he knew that God alone was his judge. And he knows that God does not judge according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. Now, Daniel's seen this play out at other times in his life. It's not the first time he's been in danger on account of his loyalty to the true God. But also, how can Daniel say that he's blameless? Well, this is no case of hubris. We know that Daniel is aware of his sins, for in chapter 9 of this book, he prays, uh, uh, he confesses to God, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. And yet Daniel has confidence in God and his mercy, and Daniel has seen the fruit of his own faith show itself in the way he has been able to be faithful and in the way that God has kept him safe so far. And this is a major contrast that we see between Darius and Daniel. For you note that nothing is said about Daniel's mental or emotional state during any of this. He just carries on. with. There's no comment. It just reports what Daniel does and says just in a very matter-of-fact, plain way. There's, there's nothing to see here except for what he does and says. It's unremarkable.
But what about Darius? Darius has been duped into sending his top man and probably even, I think, his friend to a certain death. And so he spends the day on the phone with his lawyers trying to spring Daniel from this trap. He spends the night tossing and turning, unable to eat or sleep. But Darius saw no hope of rescue for Daniel. And he himself put those seals on the lion's den so that nobody could tamper with it. But Daniel was able to continue on, knowing that he had hope because God alone is his judge. And you also can know that you'll pass the test because Jesus himself passed a night, well, a couple of nights, in a tomb, not so different from Daniel's den. And commentators throughout church history have noted the similarities between these stories for both the lion's den and Jesus' tomb were sealed to ensure they weren't tampered with or opened. Both accounts feature people outside the tomb or den wondering and afraid of what's going to happen next. And just as Daniel was found blameless by God, Jesus was found blameless by God and emerged again alive. And though he still bore the scars of his crucifixion, these were Jesus' perfection. Just as Daniel was found completely unharmed. And so the punishment for all the sins of God's people were poured out on Jesus on the cross. But because he was perfect, and because he himself is God, he appeased God's wrath by this sacrifice. And having appeased the wrath of God, it was unjust for him to be left dead. Now, Daniel's blamelessness doesn't compare with Jesus' own innocence. And we know that Hebrews 11.33 tells us that Daniel's blamelessness was purchased by Jesus' death and resurrection. And so Daniel's story is there to point us to the perfect sacrifice and resurrection of Christ. And so when Jesus returns, you will stand before his judgment seat. And if you have faith in Christ, you also will be declared blameless. And so from time to time, we see how God brings the power of the fulfilled kingdom into a time of crisis. And so God renders his verdict early, before the final judgment, in Daniel's case. God declares him blameless and delivers him from the lion. And so God here is showing you too what you can be confident will happen one day if you put your faith in him. And that brings us, you know, this this leap forward in time to the day of judgment brings us to the other reason why Daniel can carry on. For he knew that God is his judge, but he also knows that God's law alone is permanent, which reflects the fact that God alone is sovereign 
and that he outlasts all human authority and power and shows that it is all hollow. For several times it's mentioned that the laws of the king Darius can't be changed or revoked. In fact, Daniel's adversaries remind Darius of this fact when he's trying to, uh, to secure Daniel's release. They use this fact to their advantage when they tricked Darius into making this foolish law because they knew that Darius loved Daniel and wanted to promote him and so that Darius would want to go back on his law and change his mind. And so their only hope rests in the fact that the law can't be changed. But what they find instead is that God undermines the king's law quite easily. For the king says that Anybody who doesn't pray to himself must be executed, but God pays no attention to the king's law and shows it for what it is. It's the invention of a weak and foolish man being egged on by God's enemies. And what's more, God even enters his own judgment against these adversaries, for they too are thrown into the lion's den and immediately are devoured. They trusted in the permanence of the king's law but found themselves in their law overruled by God instead. But praise be to God that Darius learns the lesson. And here we even see a little bit of progress that has happened during the book of Daniel. For Nebuchadnezzar had needed to see God at work three times to really learn the lesson that the God in heaven... uh, is the one who endures. It's two steps forward, one step back, because Belshazzar never learned the lesson. He knew the stories, but he never learned. But here Darius, he only needs one opportunity. He only needs to see God at work once to finally realize who's really in control here and to create his own law, finally, that's in keeping with God's law, for he finally recognizes that God is the living God, and he is the one who endures forever. He recognizes that God is able to triumph even over the great king of the Medes and the Persians. And God does it through Daniel as his instrument, a man who is dedicated to God's law, dedicated to doing what honors God and God blessed him for it. For it says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So God gives security to the person who seeks to honor him, but brings to nothing the person who doesn't. Now, it's not that anybody is saved by obeying God's law, for anybody who's saved is saved by faith. But it says, James writes, I'll show you my faith by my works. And he speaks of Abraham saying, faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. We see how God's law reflects his own character and attributes. 
We see this in things like the law's permanence, how God's law is unchangeable just as God himself is unchangeable. But we see this in other ways too. For what's the first commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see how God's law also reflects his love and that when we obey, we become more like him. And this is part of the gospel too. For God created humanity in his image to be like him. To lead the life that we were always meant to lead. And this is what God delivers us to do and to find satisfaction in him as we do it. To be holy as he is holy. And so, as Paul writes about the role of the law in the Christian life, he writes in Galatians 5 that through love we ought to serve one another. And so God's law to this day requires that we reflect his love for us in our self-giving love to others, which is hard to do sometimes. For there are pressures to dishonor God. There are pressures to take advantage of our neighbor. And in this life, we won't always be delivered from the lion's den the way Daniel was. Remember, this is sort of an intrusion of the final judgment into this age, or the age before ours, of course. But, but we know that in the end, God will judge rightly, and that nobody can take away from you the life that has been won for you by Jesus. And so even at great cost to yourself, you can love your neighbor you can give your time generously for the person who needs it. You can give professional services pro bono. You can stand up for the truth of God's word when it's challenged. And in the end, no matter what the circumstances are, you can carry on in obedience, knowing that he alone is the judge and his law alone is permanent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this hope through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you empower us to just serve you faithfully in all kinds of circumstances, no matter what's going on. And so, Father, we pray that you will continue to equip us and continue to give us that confidence in Christ that leads us to show the world who you are. We pray that your name will be glorified through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.